0: Nerds, man, miss our stick, but sometimes we throw it's okay to be a hater but don't be a dick.
1: Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater. A podcast hosted and produced by mike Hall and Jim Harris where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture. Edited by Jim Harris. And music by Mike Hall. So, I don't know if you know this, guys, but James Gunn took a joke of a character and made a joke of a show, and it was pretty great. What do you think, Jim? Peacemaker. What a joke. What a funny series.
0: I went into this with incredibly low expectations because, hey, it's a DC live action thing, which almost always sucks. And we did an episode about the Suicide Squad movie, which is where this character comes from. I mean, He also comes from the comic books as well.
1: The most recent Suicide Squad movie. The
0: most recent Suicide Squad movie, also done by James Gunn is where we saw this particular incarnation of a Peacemaker character, which is probably the only one that most people know, including myself, because I don't know the comic books. Yeah. And a lot of people were actually confused as, they're making a show about Peacemaker? It seemed like an odd choice, but you know what? I went into it with low expectations, and overall, the show grew on me. I thought it was just going to be a funny diversion at first, and the more I watched it, the more I enjoyed it, and on the rewatch, I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. And, and, I mean, part of the reason he likes to take the more obscure characters, I mean, hey, James Gunn is a huge comic book nerd. And he likes to use the obscure characters because he has a little more open license to do whatever he wants with it. Because the execs are like, what are you going to do, ruin Peacemaker? Come on. So, yeah, what what do you think, uh, special guest Brandon? Uh, I saw it for the first time with you guys just now. and. I thoroughly enjoyed
2: it. I thought it was a hell of a lot of fun. Probably the best opening sequence I've seen in a while. It's hilarious. For sure. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, the show is almost, you can watch it just for the opening sequence. As we were joking while we were uh, re-watching it, normally the intro of a show, you would just watch maybe the first time. And then after that, you would hit the skip intro button. To skip over it we've watched it every single time and i watched it every single time i watched the show
1: so just so everybody's clear so jim and i had watched this more or less week to week and then the three of us just sat down and re-watched binge the whole thing together and yeah i mean not only did we watch the intro every single time i'm pretty sure all of us were half thinking about like starting over just to watch the intro again at least one or two more times it's really great and Eagly steals the show. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a whole other thing. Eagly steals the whole show, not just the intro, the whole show. It's probably like one of the
2: funniest, like, physical com- comedic parts of the show. Like, Eagley comes in and like drops a carcass down when Peacemaker's feeling sad and, you know, kind of like
1: a, how a cat brings a mouse home. Yeah. It's like every morning he wakes up and eagerly brings him breakfast.
0: <laughs> well, I think one of the reasons why this show worked, part of it, like we just said, was the low expectations going in. The other part is, I think right from the very beginning, the show embraces what it is. Mm-hmm. It is funny. I mean it has its serious and dramatic moments, but it doesn't take itself super serious. It knows what it's doing, and it sticks to that, and that's why it works. Uh, it doesn't try to go too far when it goes into the dramatic elements it's pretty much a lot of rapid fire comedy with occasional moments of drama
2: yeah i mean like we were all asking questions like how did this work how did that work and really at the end of the day it didn't matter it was just to move the show
1: yeah and there's a lot of there's also a lot of like asking a question and then 2 minutes later the question is answered in the show like like you said, the show knew what it was, and it knew what questions were going to be asked for the most part. I mean, there, there, there was, like, was Vigilante's visor prescription, which got asked a lot.
0: I was Vigilante met a metahuman? So, I mean, there were some things that popped up. But like I said, there was at least a half a dozen times where one of us would say, what about, and then, like, literally seconds later, the show would respond to it. It was almost like the show was listening to us comment on it while we were watching it and was incorporating feedback to explain what they knew people were going to comment on
2: yeah like i i just saw it for the first time and i'd be like is it a slurm thing and yeah there's a big cow that they fucking milk for sustenance I was like, oh it's it's a
1: slurm queen got it well again we don't know queen just a cow that's all we know
0: so, do we want to go our usual try to go through this episode by episode since you just re-binged the uh, eight episodes? well, How do you want to approach
1: this, Mike? I'm not sure episode by episode is really be- going to be conducive to the overall. I mean, I'll answer it this way, kind of. Okay. James Gunn, being the comic book nerd that he is, he wrote this series to perfectly mirror a comic book run where each episode has its own little story arc, kind of concludes that portion of the story arc while being part of a larger story. It's kind of like how
2: like USA used to do Burn Notice, and uh, Burn Notice is a show about a cop or a ex okay. CIA yeah. agent who gets burned, and like every Good season, show. yeah, every season has like he's trying to find a big baddie, but all the episodes. They have little baddies, and then they have other clues that lead to the big baddie at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that for this.
0: Yeah, there was only really one one episode that kind of like ended on a mini cliffhanger that bleeds right into the next episode with the whole reveal of, of Mern and yeah. what was going on with him. But other than that, it was almost even a built-in sort of cheat of, like, at the end of episodes, okay, everybody go home and take a nap. We'll get started first thing tomorrow yeah. morning.
1: <laughs> but again, that's that's what comic book runs do. They leave, yeah. like, they conclude, but leave just a little itty-bitty cliff, not like a huge cliffhanger, but just a little bitty one where you're like, I wonder what's happening next, so you buy the next comic. But then every once in a while, there's, like, a, a real hard, sharp, like, oh, what the fuck just happened? I have to get the next one now, right? So, yeah, there was one question that I had that did not get answered that is plaguing me right now, so I pose it to you, too. So, when the butterfly, spoilers, the butterflies take over a human body, what part of that butterfly makes that trunk-tongue thing that comes out so they can eat the weird honey syrup?
0: It's a retractable appendage that we don't see in butterfly form. I don't know. It's
1: way too big to be inside that little butterfly.
0: Maybe it repurposes the internal organs of the human host.
1: Maybe it's just like the esophagus turning inside out and then and rolling being stretched out. out.
0: And again, this, this falls into that category of why is this thing like that thing? It's like, just, just go with it. It's, it's, it's funny. It just, but yeah, I understand your point. The physics of it don't seem to make much sense because the butterfly <laughs> creature is quite small and yeah, it, it just seems...
1: Big surprise. I am bothered by the lack of physics.
0: Yes. So it, it seems, but again, would it have mattered if they explained something like, yeah, it basically turns the esoph- disconnects the esophagus and turns it inside out so that it's no longer feeding the human stomach. It's pumping that stuff up to the butterfly, which is sitting in the head.
1: But then how does the human body get sustenance?
0: Doesn't matter. I mean, again, how do, how, why does the butterfly make the human body stronger? It, again, do we really need answers to these questions, though? Does it really take anything away from the show that we don't get those type of answers?
2: I just kind of assumed that the butterflies altered the genetic structure of the person to feed the host and the butterfly,
1: and I just kind of moved on from it. So, like, the strength thing I can actually answer on that is we only use a small portion of our actual strength because of pain. Whereas if the butterfly is taken over and can bypass the pain tolerance, you're going to be a lot stronger.
0: Again, normally like on other shows, I'd be with you and wanting to go down this rabbit <laughs> hole, but I honestly really don't fucking care. I mean, th- the show is enjoyable. There are occasional things like that to make it. Go, well, what about, I don't care. I don't need an explanation for this show. If this show was more serious and it left something like that out, I was like, well, that's kind of needs to be explained. The show is 80% comedy, 20% drama enough for it to be a superhero story thing. I would argue, what's the point of asking those types of questions about this show?
1: Jim, I need you to really listen to me here. Okay. Nothing is more serious than a hug from an eagle. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha,
0: ha. Now you're just asking me to believe in miracles, man.
2: <laughs> I, I want to know how that was the big sign that miracles
1: exist. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously you've never been hugged by an eagle. Maybe I need to be. You definitely need a hug, Brandon. <laughs> so
0: I know we're not gonna go through through it episode by episode. I agree with that. But I do think it's it's interesting that like one of the things that people may have asked and, and did ask before this came out was. Do I need to see the Suicide Squad movie first, because cause Brandon didn't ask that question because you had not seen the Suicide Squad movie? No, I had not. And like, as soon as the first episode starts, it shows previously on the Suicide Squad, and it gives you enough of the plot that if you didn't see the movie, you could argue that it kind of spoils the movie for you a little bit. If you didn't, oh, there's still a lot in the movie that you don't know about. It spoils some aspects of a movie for you if you did not see it, but you do not need to have seen the Suicide Squad movie before watching this.
2: I thought that first, like, three to five minutes was enough that I was caught up. Mm-hmm. But if I wanted to go back and watch the movie, I don't think it gave much away at all.
0: Now, I mean, there are there is some criticism, which we'll get into in a bit uh, later, about the character arc that they try to give Peacemaker, and, and some... Most of the feedback I have heard about this show from critics and audiences has been overwhelmingly positive, but there have been a few people who have been critical about trying to establish a character arc of growth for Peacemaker. But I would argue we'll get into some of the specifics, but I would argue it's like you're taking a character from a comic run. That's not very well known who was one character in an ensemble movie that you only saw one particular day or days in the life of that he was like a certain way with really no backstory. And then trying to say that that character in the Suicide Squad movie is not consistent with the character in the television series, to me, I kind of call bullshit because it wasn't like you got much character development in the movie.
2: First of all, I think it's funny that the guy Peacemaker says you know i will preserve peace and i will kill every man woman and child to do it
0: i don't yeah i i his his vow is that he'll preserve peace he doesn't care how many men women or children he has to kill to do it
2: and he's a superhero anti-hero named after
1: a gun you know (laughs) it's not much more spot on than that yeah i i mean i guess i don't i haven't seen that criticism because i don't look for that that stuff but I don't understand how you could argue against this, the arc that he had because he learned from the previous movie that's what fed his desire to have this character arc, and you see it develop as it goes.
0: Yeah, again, I, I I didn't want to jump ahead. I do want to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but that was like, just again, it just ran through my head. It's, again, it's a whole thing. It's like people didn't see the Suicide Squad movie or they did see the Suicide Squad movie and how much of that could be... And then also some people are like, well... That is kind of one of the areas where the show tries to be pseudo serious or, or get into the drama is more in the in the character's journey, which I have I have no problem with. But before we dive into that type of stuff again, I know we're not going through episode by episode, but the first episode tells you all you need to know about the connection to the Suicide Squad movie. And I think that first when he's in the hospital, because we know at the end of the Suicide Squad movie, he got shot and a building fell on him. So we learned that he was in the hospital for five months recovering. And he's being let go. But that first conversation with the janitor establishes the tone of the series immediately. Because oh, this yeah. is a fucking hilarious, back and forth, ridiculous conversation.
1: With his ass hanging out.
0: With his ass hanging out of the back of his hospital gown. So you're like, you understand the tone right away. And it carries that tone throughout the entire series. Again, occasionally it takes a few moments... A few beats to be serious, but it sticks to that tone from the beginning and carries it all the way through.
2: I thought we were best friends. We smoked a joint together out back, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I I mean, and again, the other things that the arc that will be carried out throughout the series two that we see in episode one is the beginning of his backstory anchored with his very difficult relationship with his father. Mm -hmm. And then the character that his father becomes and how that feeds into a significant portion of the character journey that we see him on. So th- the first episode does a pretty good job of introducing you to all of the major players mm-hmm. and the basic framework of a story. And the thing that's really interesting, to me at least, on the rewatch, it's amazing to see, I even on the original watch, the first watch through, I noticed that they were doing a lot of callbacks. But it's actually pretty impressive how much of that is firmly and well-established in the very first episode.
1: Well, there was one line in particular that really hit me, was uh, when uh, Myrn was talking and explaining to everybody why they needed Peacemaker, and it, he said he's that Peacemaker is an expert of every weapon of humankind. And he very specifically said human. Like, put an emphasis on that. And you don't find that out, that, that he's actually a butterfly until, like, what, episode 4? Yeah, like, humans
2: don't normally refer to other humans as humans. You know, it's weapons of mankind or right. things like that. So, I mean, I guess that is a little foreshadowy.
1: But I never caught that in the first, the 1st guard. But I also, and I'll fully admit, because I knew this was going to be a joke, I didn't think it was going to be good. I didn't really pay that close of attention the first episode the first time. And then when it, when it hit me at the end of the episode, I'm like, wow, this really has the potential to be, like, just out-of-the-box good. Like, it's not like, oh, man, this deserves all the awards good. It's just highly enjoyable.
0: Well, that's what I meant when I said earlier, I I watched this, I was watching it week to week, but I was watching it very casually, and it wasn't until maybe, like, the fourth episode that I started paying more attention. And that's why I was glad to do the rewatch, and when on the rewatch, I definitely caught more stuff. So, yeah, I wasn't watching very closely on my first watch those first couple episodes and the other thing that's established from again the first episode and all throughout and again it's what you expect from james gunn is the excellent integration of music
1: oh yeah for sure yes.
0: i mean again for a nerd like me who as we've talked about before i listen to music for the lyrics mike listens to music for the music i find it hilarious that the ly- if you're listening closely enough if you care to listen closely enough the lyrics of the songs that are playing in the background perfectly match the scene in which they're playing so when the when the music is loud enough that you can actually hear the lyrics if you choose to it perfectly matches what's happening in the scene
1: and i will one up you on that where again i listen to more for the music part and the music beats hit exactly yes. as it is too like even even the timing of the music, like the movements of the characters, fit the timing of the music. The punches land on right hard, you know exactly. Beats. And, and like in like the big like beat drop always happens at just the right time. And yeah, there, there, there's actually a big. So I just watched an interview with James Gunn uh, with uh, Kevin Smith was interviewing him. They're talking about it and, and everything, and they talk about that opening sequence and how it's really weird that the dance doesn't start until a few beats into the music and then the reason for it is because then you get the end and the pose and the music stops and then they sit there and pose a little bit longer and it was an intentional off-put so that the ending isn't right on the end of the music either and then uh, he also talks about how he was he was inspired by figure skating and how at the end of a figure skating routine you got the person that's standing there just huffing and puffing and you can barely move and, you know, big smile on their face or or frown on their face if they did bad or whatever. And they're just sitting there just striking a pose for a while, just waiting until they're allowed to move again. And he just wanted to get that at the end of the scene. And then, of course, eagerly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> the other thing that is, is indicative as a general comment about the show, it's a lot of rapid-fire comedy. So oh, yeah. there's a lot of jokes which... If you don't catch it, it's okay. And if you don't think it's funny, they don't dwell on it. It goes by fast. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of rapid-fire jokes. If you can't, which, again, I caught more of them and appreciated it more on the rewatch, but some shows really try to wring the humor out and, like, really keep beating the same drum of a joke. Most of the stuff, in this case, it's just rapid-fire dialogue, there are reference jokes that go by real quick. Like the, the the dorky one that I made us pause episode two on was the joke about the uh, pump up the kicks song about how when he when Peacemaker temporarily kidnaps the couple in the apartment building, uh, they're having a fight and the woman is basically flirting with Peacemaker over their shared interest in music. And then she starts yelling at her husband that you like that song, Pump Up the Kicks. That song's about murder. You like murder. And it it made me laugh both times I watched it because I've always thought that about that song. It's like, it's a really poppy song by Foster the People. The summer that it came out years ago, it was like the song of the summer. It's like, if you listen to the lyrics of the song, it's about a kid who goes to school and shoots everybody.
2: <laughs> Don't have to outrun the gun, but you better outrun the bullet, I think. is
0: Yeah, it's like, yeah, can you outrun my gun? Are you Because f- Pump Up the Kicks is kids that have really fancy sneakers. So it's like a poor kid who goes to school, and other people have their dress better, and they have better sneakers. Yeah, can your sneakers un- outrun my gun? Are you faster than my bullet? And that's the chorus of the song. Well, and,
2: you know, if you remember back in the day, they had, like, the Reebok pumps. Yeah. yeah, and you, you know, the I had those. gag was you were supposed to pump them up and they'd make you run faster, jump higher, whatever. So I think that's part of the lyric in it, too.
1: Yeah. Mel Brooks should put a joke about that somewhere in a movie with Dave Chappelle.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, at various times throughout the whole series, there's kind of like arguments over what kind of music do you like. It, ha- it comes back because, again, James Gunn, lots of music integrated into the series. But again, it's one of those things. It's like, it goes by fast enough. I, I actually made you guys. I made you guys pause it and talk about it. It just went. It didn't mean anything to you guys.
2: No, I actually pulled out my phone and listened to about three and a half minutes of it. I was like, "Holy fuck, that's dark." <laughs> you know? I mean, because uh, I was probably like eighty percent of the people I heard it in bars, and I'm like, "Oh, that's kind of catchy." Yeah. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Whereas
0: I have never heard that song in my life. But again, it's just another one of those examples. Like, it, it doesn't dwell on it. The other category of joke that mike probably caught more than we did there's a lot of comic book reference like quick comic book references that go by really fast that if you didn't catch them it's okay yeah but if you catch them they're pretty funny
2: well and i don't think they're necessary for
1: the plot either oh no no, most of the
0: jokes are not
1: (laughs) they brought up and referenced batmite in the dceu (laughs) <laughs> that is fucking awesome. But th- but on that note, though, because, uh, you know, I am a big comic book fan, but I'm not like a huge comic book nerd. So we're dipping into characters that I know nothing about. Like, I've I've seen the image of Peacemaker in some books, never actually known the character. Uh, White Dragon is a character in the books. Know nothing about White Dragon. Vigilante is a character in the books. I've seen Vigilante in... In things, but he's a background character that you don't even know his name, you know? So yeah, we're, we're really dipping into the stuff that I know nothing about. So where I get to enjoy it the way that everybody else seems to enjoy these things.
0: But in addition to that, like you said, probably one of the reasons why we got the characters that we got in the Suicide Squad movie, for one thing, because again, other than Harley Quinn, most people didn't know who any of the other characters were, including Peacemaker. So yeah, we have characters that are in the show that we don't know much about but the show also makes fun of the established characters in the dceu a lot
2: i love all the shit talk about like the other superheroes like
0: aquaman fucks fish yeah i'm glad that that's
2: confirmed and it's canon now Superman has a Superman has a poop fetish, uh, a German <laughs> scat fetish or something like that. And Green Arrow is, plays the back half of a Twilight
0: sparkle, sparkle at Brony and, conventions. Yeah,
2: and he's got like a four <laughs> inch hole that he gets railed in or something like that. I whoa, mean, whoa, 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 you.
1: (laughs) you inserted the railing (laughs) why would you have a for? why would you have a hole they said ventilation
0: (laughs) (laughs) i still contend that how else would peacemaker know that green arrow was the back half of twilight sparkle unless peacemaker was the front half of twilight sparkle
2: Uh, and you brought it up earlier is wouldn't he have to go to these brony conventions to know
0: exactly These are the important questions. These are the important questions. And 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 some of them may be jokes, but I'm saying right now, Aquaman fucks fish is canon. Canon. Because Aquaman shows up at the end, spoiler, complains about that fucking rumor, and Barry, the Flash, says, Well, it's not a rumor. And he's like, Fuck you, Barry. So it's canon.
1: And he didn't deny it after. He didn't deny it. So it's canon, man. Aquaman fucks fish. Do you think it's specific fish? Is he attracted to a certain kind of fish or is it all fish? Are other fish sexier
2: than other fish within the same species? What about mammals like marine mammals?
1: Is he speciesist? <laughs> Again, these are the important yeah, These
0: important are the important questions that the, the television series raises. Exactly.
1: The, the television series that had nothing to do with Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And one of the other, again, lots of really funny jokes that you could just ignore, because again, it has nothing to do with the plot of the movie, but there's a great Mandela effect joke in the third episode.
1: That was actually what I wrote down. So my notes for this was like one line for each episode explaining what that episode was about. And that was my line was, murder the Bearstein Bears. Bearstein. (laughs) Bearstein. 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 (laughs) Bearstein.
0: For those of you who are not familiar with the Mandela Effect, it's the it's a effect from psychology where people believe that they remember something that did not actually happen. It's called the Mandela Effect because people believe that they remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison in South Africa, which he did not. He lived to be released from prison. So it's that effect that so many people have heard or repeated the myth or misremembering or whatever you want to call it that he died in prison it is a category of stuff that happens. And sometimes it comes up as like a, a, a proof of alternate universes or something. Yeah.
2: The joke is that it proves that like the multiverse is real. And then one universe passed through another one. And some of us got pulled in and some of us didn't. And I think it's supposed to be like nine 11 would be an indication that something like that happened because it's such a huge deal that something had to come through and wreck it.
0: Gotcha. The,
2: I read off a list of Mike to these, and he couldn't sleep for a day. Uh, <laughs> like uh, there was a lot of googling done that yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> like Sinbad wasn't in Shazam or.
0: Yeah, about to say yeah about yeah. If you've never Google the Mandela Effect, if you've never heard of it before, yeah, it will fuck your mind up. It's Uki. Yeah, because there there will be some on that list. Be like, oh, I know that, but then some others will be like, oh, wait a minute, that's not right. And the thing I thought was funny about the episode is they mention it briefly, and you think it's over. So there's like they argue over which way it is, and then one of the characters actually brings up an image from the internet of the proper way that it's spelled. And instead of accepting that, the other character goes, "Well, you could just Photoshop that." <laughs>
2: It's well worth your time to Google what it is, because every person I've talked to about it, their brains explode. Like when I was watching this, I pulled my hair back and I was like having a mini seizure about the Berenstein Bears.
0: (laughs) The other thing I want to note before we go on as another sort of category that is also recurring throughout the series is we're fairly certain that this is true, that a lot of John Cena's stuff was improvised. Like he got a yeah. general idea. Like he, there was stuff in the script that you had to say, but there was also plenty of room for him to do whatever you want.
1: So there was, I also recently watched an interview uh, from Christian Harloff interviewing the actor that played vigilante. Okay. Um, this is on his YouTube channel, the big thing. And he asked him just specifically, like it looked like a lot of this stuff was improvised. And he confirms like, yeah, there's basically there was kind of a core, like s- make sure you say this. And then just say whatever you want, and then you know you can do multiple takes and we'll figure out what's best. And there was a lot of John Cena just riffing. And in particular, the spot where he was listing off all the names that he could have used as the secret or the identity of whoever had the fingerprints instead of framing his father instead. Mm-hmm. the first two names were actually written. Everything else was completely off the cuff off the top of John Cena's head.
2: And then at the end of the episode, the cutscene was even more names that, you know, they apparently like edited out or didn't use or whatever.
0: I mean, there are so many scenes all throughout the series where whoever John Cena is talking to is just like staring at him because, are you done yet? Because, like, he just goes off on riffs and it is like, stay in character, don't laugh, just let him keep going. And it works. And it works. It's funny. It's really, really good. I think I asked that in a. During the
2: first episode, I want to know how much of this was improvised because it looks like everybody is having fun with the job. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and some of the jokes just it's not important, but they don't line up, you know, yeah. with what's going on. But it they're just funny anyway. So, who yeah. cares?
1: yeah, I, I think I mean, I, I want to get back to this a little bit later, so I'm not going to dwell on it. But I just think that this shows this series shows how underrated John Cena has been.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people, I'm not going to say he's a great actor, but he's good. He's a great performer, Yeah, which is not surprising given his background in wrestling. But he is better than people give him credit for.
1: I would put him right around the same place that I put Harrison Ford, where he's very charismatic. He's a good performer. Not that great of an actor, but he does what he does way better than most people. I would say that John Cena
2: probably has more range than Harrison Ford. I think Harrison Ford only plays like two or three characters in his entire career.
1: Shots fired. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The one last
0: thing, again, I don't know if this was improvised or if it was actually, it it sounded too good to be fully improvised, but I was applauding. In episode four, John Cena goes on an awesome anti-Batman rant. Which is his fucking spot on. I mean, things that people have criticized over the years is like, why does Batman keep capturing the criminals to put them in prison just so that they can escape and then kill more people? I mean, it's much longer than that, but like he basically just like just lays into the entire Batman thing.
2: It's the criticism that like Batman has probably killed more people and beaten more wives by leaving people alive. Or he like... Beats up a thug in the alley, but now that guy has to go to the hospital. He gets addicted to painkillers, and he actually creates more drama in the town than probably would if he just, like, donated a bunch of money.
0: Yeah, because, like, Peacemakers essentially asked us, like, do you have, like, a rogues gallery? And he's like, no, they're all dead. <laughs> I
1: kill my enemies. <laughs> so I do want to ask, did you, is there anything else, like, episode-specific you wanted to...
0: Um, we'll probably touch upon it here and there. I just wanted to maybe try to keep together the character journey stuff. So I want to push that aside. Okay. I do want to talk about Peacemaker's character growth
1: journey. So if we can talk about other stuff first, maybe. Okay. So what I was going to ask, because you alluded to it earlier, and I don't want to lose it because I think it would be interesting to talk about, is you, you said there was a lot of good feedback from the Internet. You, very little minor feedback or bad feedback. But there was a lot of good feedback. And I just wanted to know, because again, I don't see that stuff. So I was just kind of curious. What, what was the overwhelming good feedback? And then what was the bad feedback? The only thing I heard
2: about it was from my sister. And we were talking on the phone. And she just says, dude, you got to watch Peacemaker. You'll love it. And I'm like, okay. Seems like a throwaway, but whatever. And so when you invited me to come over,
1: yeah. And she wasn't wrong. I need to have your sister on sometime. She'd probably do it. All right. Well, most of the positive feedback probably
0: had the common uh, thread was, again, the show understands what it is. And if you go into it with the proper expectations, then it's almost impossible to be disappointed. I mean, again, it's not usually it's Marvel is usually no more for being humor mm. than DC in terms of what they've done with live action stuff. So it's like it's very a very different DC property, just like the Suicide Squad movie, the second one, the James Gunn one, was a much different kind of quote unquote superhero movie. So if you go, as long as you go into it with those expectations, then and and go along with the fact that it's like again eighty percent comedy, you're gonna enjoy it. If you try to get into it to how does this fit into like the overall universe and or or get into some of the dorkier questions we were talking about earlier then maybe you're just going to take away from the enjoyment of the show. Obviously, there are things, we touched on a couple of them, there are others that don't really make sense if you stop and think about them. But just sit back and enjoy the show, and you'll find it quite entertaining. So that's been was basically the positive feedback was like, appreciate it for the unique thing that it is. And don't don't compare it to, is it like this comic book movie or that comic book show? Just fucking watch the show and and enjoy it. Well, that
1: goes into one of the things I rant about a lot is quit fucking ranking things. It doesn't fucking matter. Do you enjoy it or not? It doesn't matter if it's, is it in your top three? Is it in your top five? Is it better than this or worse than this? It depends on the fucking day. Do you enjoy it or not? Did you have a good time? Yeah, I put it,
2: and I think I've even said this on your show before. It's like a Transformers movie. You know, you don't go to a Transformers movie for Oscar-worthy writing and acting. You go to a Transformers movie to watch two robots beat the ever-loving shit out of each other. That's what it is, and it's kind of in that category. It's just enjoyable.
1: Giant monsters fighting.
0: Indeed. Again, in terms of negative feedback, again, this is this is fringe stuff because again, overwhelmingly positive. Like the last time I looked. Even the critics, like on Rotten Tomatoes, this was like 95%. Wow.
1: Yeah, it wasn't this the one... It was either this or it was the Spider-Man movie. that, Like, the critic score and the audience score were the same.
0: It was for a while. The last time I checked, the audi- audi- oddly enough, again, I, we've talked about this before, trying to make sense of these numbers, who the hell knows. Right, the last time I checked, before I came over here today, the critics was 95%, and the audience was actually 88%. Oh, wow. But... I think that the reason it was neck and neck, there is a category of dumbass negative feedback about the finale episode. And I think that that's what brought it down into the high 80s for the audience score. So that's like one category of negative feedback. I mean, I will even admit, just generally speaking, the finale episode when I first saw it, was a little underwhelming to me. I also was initially, I ended up liking it, but my gut reaction to the butterfly speech about how humans are bad and all that stuff, it tinged a little too liberal political to me the very first time. I had like, immediately like, really? Did we have to say that? I ended up liking it. So there's a subcategory of people who didn't kind of like that, liberal bents to the politics and the fucking dumbass why weren't the entire justice league there at the end where was cyborg where was batman it's it's black history month and cyborg wasn't there what the fuck it's like what why are you really gonna pick apart the fact that oh he was busy but to say in the just in in the comic books, and all of the other Justice League things, the entire fucking Justice League doesn't show up every fucking time. So yeah, only Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, and Aquaman showed up. Fish fucker. The fish fucker. And only the fish fucker and Flash were even the actual actors and even actually had brief lines. It wasn't Henry Cavill, Superman. It wasn't Wonder Woman. The other thing that it triggered, again, the stupid fucking Justice League VR Snyder Cut bullshit was like, where the fuck is Cyborg? He's going all Josh Whedon. It's like, no, he's not. Shut the fuck up. So that was like, there was a little bit of a shitstorm about why wasn't the entire Justice League there. And especially it seemed to really, really bother. Like, Not so many people gave a fuck that Batman wasn't there, but it really seemed to seriously bother people that Cyborg wasn't there.
2: And like, I kind of equate it to like Yelp reviews. You know, people generally review something if they're pissed off about it. So the fact that it's 88% positive says, I think probably more than 88% of people will like it.
0: Right, but I mean, to Mike's point, it was like pretty much neck and neck, same rating as the critics until that final episode came out. I
2: mean, you guys
1: look at that stuff often. Aren't they usually flip-flopped? It depends. Usually if the critic scores high, the audience scores low and vice versa. But very rarely are they, they anywhere near each other. Like, very rarely are they within 10 points of each other. And they, they were within, like, one or two points of each other. The meme that I liked on Twitter, so there's one person had, like, a, a
0: freeze frame capture of only the, the four that showed up. Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, and Aquaman. It's like, oh, they all should have been there. So someone else said, here, I'll fix it. Here's the brief freeze frame. Here you have a silhouetted figure that you can't see. Hey, that's Batman, just like they did with Wonder Woman and Superman. Yeah, the characters are technically there, but that's not Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot. Hey, look, there's a Batman. There's a cyborg. I fixed it. Another guy's like, I'll do you even better. Shows a picture of a blank field with no Justice League characters. And then the picture of the four who actually showed up. Hey, look, I fixed it. (laughs) (laughs) so that was that category of there were people who were not going to be fucking happy no matter how that was done and it's like a fucking 30 seconds thing at the very end of the final episode
1: well i do want to hit back again so like the only thing that bothered me even the slightest is kind of what you said about like the liberal thing at the end because it actually happened like three or four times where in joke form they kind of went on a little bit of a liberal rant. And if you agree with the rant, it's just hilarious. If you disagree with it, you're like, oh, come on, you're pushing an agenda. And I'm kind of right there in the middle of like, I see what you're doing. It was funny, but I don't like what you're doing. Leota straight up calls
2: Peacemaker at the end. what Like proto-fascist, neo-libertarian neo-liber- yeah. neo- neo- thing. And then they just kind of move on from it.
0: Well, even to Mike's point, I mean, again, it's a it's comedy. But like, I mean, there's a cringy joke reference to me, too, which was funny. But that didn't some people didn't like that. Some people didn't like the constant. Cr- again, I thought it was done well, but like the constant crap. So you said we weren't going to say our name because we couldn't pronounce it. I used to buy you out Yeah, that one. Yeah that they kept sort of like giving her crap about her lesbian relationship. So people like did again, it's one of those, I I, I hate bringing this up, but it's like one of those things that there's always this thing of like, they did, I thought they did a great job, but anytime you decide to take on a topic, like let's show a a, a lesbian relationship, no matter how it is done, some people are not going to be happy with it. So the jokes that would be made at their expense which she gave shit back to everyone who gave her shit and shut everyone the fuck down. But some people didn't like the fact that that was a recurring theme.
2: I like the one where, you know, I took my wife's name and Vigilante's like, doesn't that make you the girl in the relationship? And he goes, I'm a lesbian. Yeah, that's kind of the point.
0: Yeah, we're both the girl in the relationship. That's how lesbians work.
1: You <laughs> <laughs> see, that, that, and that, was, that was just funny. Like, that, there was no point. But there was like... It seemed like every third episode or so, or, you know, every two or three episodes, there was like a, just a little rant. And it's like, I I see what you're doing. It was funny, but I see what you're doing. And if if it was reciprocated and it wasn't all on one side, I I think it would be a little less like, come on. Like, I mean, like, again,
0: they turn it all into a good joke. Like the white man's burden. Like when he's like, oh, you're not supposed to, you have to say Asian. You can't say Oriental anymore. And then he's like, really? And then, again, is like, oh, wow, the white man's burden of how terrible your life is that you occasionally have to substitute one word for another. Uh, Oh, how rough is that (laughs) for you? So, I mean, again, they're making, and again, there are also other jokes where they're kind of sarcastically making fun of, like, woke culture. Like, don't you remember when it was okay, you could just basically fuck with everybody all you want? Now you can't do it anymore. And then, like, when you say, oh, you can't, like, bully other people, it's like, well, people bully me, too. By calling me a bully, so there was a lot of like, sort of like poking fun at political correctness and wokeness and what are the right words and stuff. But it's all done well. I think it's
2: done in good fun, and I.
0: It's done in good fun, and the people who are making the jokes are wrong. Yeah, yeah, they're fucking idiots.
2: And they make a callback to that too, and somebody calls him an asshole, and Peacemaker looks at him and goes, "Maybe I find the word asshole to be offensive." Yeah.
1: And and again, it 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 didn't ruin anything. It didn't it didn't make me not like any parts of it or anything. It, it just really was like, I see what you're doing, and that was it. Like yeah. it, 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 I was not upset by it, but as I say if there was anything that remotely took me out that made me not like any parts of this whatsoever, that was it. Everything else about this was great.
0: Like I said again, because I only went down this road because you asked to what were some of the negative stuff. So it was a little bit of that. And then the other thing, which again, I thought it was ballsy to take it on in the way that they did, but some people were a little bit uncomfortable with the white dragon, like the straight up come right at you with the neo-Nazi white power stuff. But I mean, they show that those guys are fucking idiots.
2: Yeah. And I have to watch stuff with closed captioning because I'm half deaf, And they even like refer to like Nazi one as like. Hooded shitbag in the closed titles and stuff like that. There's throwaway jokes in that that are pretty. Yeah, funny. like
0: like racist idiot and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, so even the closed captioning.
2: Wandering like, wanker one, I think yeah, was yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, again, the the character of the White Dragon is a a, a neo-Nazi fucked up comic book character. Very rare neo-Nazi fucked up comic book character, but it was authentically done. For I don't know the comics all that well, but people say it was done
1: fairly authentically. So. They actually kind of mixed two characters. So in, in the books, White Dragon is like a very small character who was very similar to the character in the costume here. Okay. But then in the books, Peacemaker's dad was a Nazi. Oh. And so they just kind of combined those into one character. Gotcha. I mean, if you're going to have a character called White Dragon, I think I mean, it, uh, if it fits. The shoe fits. And actually like what they did with the hoods, too, where instead of like one pointed hood, they gave them... Two points for the dragon. Yeah. Little, pointy, little pointy tips. Yeah. I, I think they're supposed to match
2: his outfit somehow because he yeah. has horns on his. But they were still just sheets.
0: And we had talked about this a couple of times throughout. I mean, again, Peacemaker's difficult relationship with his father is one of the undercurrents of the show. But there are several times where like, Peacemaker's like not trying to defend his dad, but he's kinda, it, it kind of comes out, well, he's still my dad. So like he has a couple of conversations with Adabayu, who who is like, your your father's basically a piece of shit. And she's really he's like, well, he's still my dad it was like, you can't tell me that underneath all of that racist stuff is a nice person. He's just a total piece of shit.
2: And they kind of lean into that on Peacemaker. They're like, you disproportionate. He goes, I only kill bad guys. And he goes, but you disproportionately kill black people. He goes, that's something I can work on.
0: Yeah, that, that joke they make like in the very first conversation in the opening of the first episode. Yeah, you disproportionately kill people of color. And then Vigilante later kind of <laughs> counters that, go, I predominantly kill white people.
1: <laughs> Vigilante had so many fun jokes. Dude, yeah, he, he was probably the favorite. I, I think across the board, he was probably the favorite for most people that were watching this show. Uh, other than Eagly, he stole the show.
0: Yeah, I would say yes. Eagly was, was a scene stealer, but I think probably my fi- I mean, I didn't dislike anyone, but yeah, Vigilante was... Uh, obviously, John Cena as Peacemaker was awesome, but a scene-stealing delight who was not Eagly is, was definitely Vigilante.
2: He was basically just DC Deadpool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, John Cena and the uh, chick that he tied up earlier, and Vigilante were all in bed, and they were, like, smoking a joint, and... <laughs> they pass it back and forth thinking vigilante just goes i can't believe they legalized that shit three years ago i'd have murdered you both for it you know which shows like vigilante's bar for
1: you know he even makes a joke about like graffiti yeah to kill him he, yeah he's just well he even says specifically at one point he's like i am somebody that likes to murder yeah so so yeah so i'm just looking for the reason he's like i only murder bad people but i enjoy it yeah
0: Yeah, because they even have that that conversation where like, because there was a time when there's a couple of times where John Cena's Peacemaker character cries. And the first time that it happens, he kind of shakes it off. It was like doing like, you know, facial exercises to make his facial muscles stronger. And that's when he has that conversation with Vigilante where Peacemaker's like, you know, yeah, I I kill people because I have to. But, you know, I take no joy in it. And Vigilante's like, yeah, you do. pleasurable to kill people. It's cool for me, it's, but yeah, occasionally we accidentally kill, like, a good guy, but that's okay. Yeah,
1: better luck next time.
0: I mean, because Vigilante is just, like, a straight-up, like, sociopath who does not understand, like, anything about human emotions. Well, he even
1: says at one point, too, he's like, I don't feel emotions like everybody
2: else does. Right. Yeah, he has no idea what nuance is to anything.
1: All right, what else you got?
0: The only thing is because we had mentioned Vigilante and the joy that he takes. I think that is no better exemplified than in episode three, when we see Peacemaker chokes when he's supposed to pull the trigger. To kill who? To kill the Baron. Steen. Steen. Bears. The Butterfly family. And he balks at pulling the trigger. And at first it's, again, we play into this later that it seems like he balked at the fact that his sights were set on the boy first. And we get insight into why that might've given him pause when we hear about how his brother died, but he can't pull the trigger. So vigilante is like, Hey bud, step aside for a second. And he just like, Whistling a happy-ass tune picks up and the guy is like, bam, bam, bam.
2: <laughs> There's no hesitation
1: whatsoever. Oh,
0: yeah, I mean, he's literally, like, ha- he- having
1: a blast. He's whistling and... And I even said that was my favorite part of the series, is just how happy he was to be like, do, 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 I get to murder, la la, la, la. It's like,
2: uh, Michael from, like, Rick and Morty. He goes, Here I go killing again. Yeah,
1: I got nothing on that one. I don't watch that show.
0: And again, only just because we happen to be on some vigilante things. Back to, again, how I, I thought that the racism stuff was handled well when... Oh, the jail scene? The jail scene, when, when basically, again, vigilante is a sociopath who doesn't quite understand anything, really. Uh, so when Anabayu basically tricks him into, you know what? Peacemaker, it would be really great if Peacemaker's dad was just not around Disappeared. Anymore. So he gets himself arrested to put him in jail so that he can confront and try to kill Peacemaker's dad. And the the speech when he sits down at the table in the, in the jail with the neo-Nazis about, hey, let's go around the table and each say what we appreciate most about black culture. And he goes off on this rift. They get all pissed. And then they have this fight. And he just like kicks the fucking crap out of like a bunch
2: of them. I'll go first. And he does his thing about rock and roll and all that. He goes, looks over at the guy next to him. He goes, you want to go next? You racist piece of shit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And again, our man, John, a dye beard, economist, mows down all of the Nazis later. And the head Nazi gets killed by peacemaker. So all the neo-Nazis die.
2: (laughs) Got how to say his name. It looks like economics.
0: Yes. John Economos.
2: But uh, I think he kills more people in this entire show than anybody does.
1: It really, he saves the day. Yeah, yeah you know, he's,
0: he's a fucking hero. Even the body count up a little bit in the final fight scene. Plus, uh, Peacemaker does throw a bomb that kills a bunch of people all at once. But yeah, uh, a lot of uh, quality kills from, from, uh, from John Economos. He throws a bomb-zuh. Yes. His solution
2: to a bigger (laughs) bomb is to tie a smaller bomb to a bigger bomb to make a bigger bomb somehow. Well, he had to ignite the bigger bomb with the smaller bomb. That's not how it works.
0: (laughs) And John Economos does get probably the the kill of the series when he takes out the gorilla with a chainsaw. Right. Yes.
2: (laughs) And Vigilante's so sad about it. Wouldn't it be cooler if you just threw it at me and I caught it and I said... Nice, know nice throw, bud. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, since we just got onto a, a vigilante ref, you want to talk about some of the before we come back to Peacemaker? You want to talk about some of the other characters?
1: Well, what, what I actually wanted to hit on in, in general was just the acting and the characters. Just generally speaking, I, I think this this whole series what they did really well is make the human characters human. They they had discussions to say we actually joked about it because there were times where we were like. We would pause and have a discussion about something random that that, that it brought up, and then we hit play, and then they have a very similar discussion, almost exactly the same way that we just had one. And so everybody, everybody was human. Everybody stayed in character very well. I wouldn't go on a limb and say all of them are great actors necessarily. No. I can't say that one way or another because I haven't seen them enough in enough things. But they did the characters so well that they, they stayed in character the whole time, even even when they were riffing. In you know, waiting just trying to react to somebody else, they stayed in character. John Cena specifically, I think, did a very good job. Uh, Vigilante did a fantastic job of, of staying consistent. But so yeah, that, that's that's all I really wanted to say. I mean, if you want to go into just talking about each character, that that's fine. I Other th- than they did a good job, I don't know how much more I'm going to say.
2: I think everything you just said kind of plays into. You can tell everybody's having a good time. That too. You know, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's. I think it was easy to do that because it was fun.
0: Yeah, it was a good ensemble cast, and everyone seemed to really get along well, and they really seemed to be enjoying it themselves. And one of the more positive experiences with social media in recent memory regarding shows has been around Peacemaker. I do most of my stuff on Twitter. So on Twitter, there wasn't much in terms of spoilers because I actually didn't really care much because it wasn't much about the show I thought you really could spoil. But after each episode aired... The, the cast would be tweeting like behind-the-scenes stuff, like pictures and videos and stuff like that. And they were really interacting with, and people were asking questions, and they were there, and they were answering them back. So it was very interactive, and it really helped add to the enjoyment of the show. It also showed you that behind-the-scenes stuff, that everyone was having a really great time. And if they didn't have fun, they wouldn't want to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, you're they're getting paid to promote it, but it, it, didn't, it didn't sound like that type of thing of being paid to say, yeah, the show's awesome. Watch the show tonight. And they were actually genuinely they were showing like videos of like what how the, the stunts that they were practicing and showing videos of them fucking up trying to practice the dance choreography for the the opening and stuff like that. So everyone was was really cool about what they were sharing. So I, I would agree with what you're saying is like probably other than John Cena, you would have to give um, I think it's what, Danielle Brooks I think is the uh, actress who most of us who plays uh, Out of Bayou, who most of us probably know her from oranges and new black. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure she's been in other things too.
1: She has, but that was right away when I saw her, I'm like, Oh,
0: Hey, it's her. Right. So I think she is actually a good actress and I think she probably gets more to do other than John Cena. She probably gets more to work yeah, with yeah. and more to do than Cause Harcourt's an interesting character. But she's just sort of the tough chick. She has some moments that are cool. She does her part well. It's an easy character to play, right? Yeah, really. it's, yeah it's, there's not a lot there.
1: So there's, there's a lot of dynamics to Adebayo's character. And I, and I would say, though, the, the character that... Uh, what would you say her name is? I think it's Danielle Brooks. Yeah, the, the character that she plays in this really isn't that much different than the character she plays in Origins of the New Black. Right. So, I mean, that, that's where I say I, I haven't seen enough variance to say whether or not they were acting well, because I don't know what they're like normally. Right. And there's not enough difference between what I have seen them in to know whether or not they're good actors. Yeah. So. And I thought
2: that character, Leota, I think she, she had her own little character arc where yeah. she, you know, she, what, ran a vet clinic, and then she later embraces
0: her inner Amanda Waller. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. She had the other actual Honestly, she had really the only other real character arc other than John Cena. So, yeah, she was fighting her inner Amanda Waller, initially hiding. I mean, the audience knew from the beginning, but the rest of the team, it wasn't obvious to only Mern reveals that he knew. But the rest of them didn't know that she was Amanda Waller's daughter. It also was like, how does that really make sense? Why would, and then again, you see that arc of how, believably that maybe she had been trained, because that was sort of the uh, intimation that she went through all of the training, but just never went into the life. Uh, and then she got brought back and her mother at one point's like, you know, you are really, and again, even Harcourt and the others is like, you know what? You're really good at this. Maybe you don't want to do it, but if you actually wanted to do this, you really could. So it makes her badassery in the finale believable.
2: Yeah. Amanda Waller says, why, why are you running away from something you were born to do?
0: Right. But we see early on, It. it, it, it that's what I mean, there's character growth. Early on, like, like uh, in the episode three, not only does John Cena, Peacemaker freeze, she freezes too. She doesn't shoot someone. The security guard, and hardcore gets pissed. I was like, why are you dragging this out? You're only making this worse. We're, we have to kill this guy. And you're letting him beg for his life and talk about his wife and kids. And she just pulls, she just grabs a gun and shoots the guy in the head. It's like, you just made it worse. And she's like, I've never shot anyone before. I've never shot at anyone before. I'm not. So it seems at that point very unbelievable that she could be a badass. And then they have her gradually build up to what she does in the finale, which makes it believable and work. So I am
1: going to push back briefly on one thing. Okay. You said that Hardcore did not have any kind, really a character arc, but I would argue she had. She had a pretty big character arc. It was just done subtly to where, you know, at the beginning of the series, she was a very cold, heartless bitch. Okay. OK. And then throughout the series, she starts to open up and actually become friends with these people and actually have feelings and care for them.
0: Yeah, she starts off being basically the professional to do this job. You've got to be detached type of thing. But there's also kind of interesting things. So I guess that is true. They do play off on the thing too. There's the betrayal arc that kind of gets repeated. So like the whole idea of like uh Adebayo gets pissed that Harcourt knew that Myrne was a butterfly and they didn't say anything. And then Harcourt gets pissed at her because of the whole planting the diary at Peacemaker's trailer and that she was Amanda Waller. So, so they... She stayed away from her. They started to become friends. A betrayal happens. They fucking hate each other, and then they come back around again. So there was a little bit, but like you said, it was more, more subtle uh, with her than than it was with. Because again, again, Adibayu also had her her wife and that sort of arc, and she also had her mother there. So there was more. Connections Again, not that they w- did much with Amanda Waller. She was
1: just more of a main character.
0: Right, and not and much that they did much with her wife, but it, it gave her a little bit more of a, an arc.
1: I, I see what you're saying. I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I'm just saying that that's, that's more because she was more of a main character, and there was more known about her. I, I wouldn't say she has more, really much more of a character arc. We just see it more because she's more of a focus.
0: I guess my only point there is that Harcourt's uh, a badass the whole way through. So, so there's no difference. I mean, yeah, you're right. Her relationship stuff of how she relates to people and starts to become friendly with them goes through a little bit of a growth. But there's nothing about she's just the badass the whole way through. I mean, once a badass, always a badass. But, I mean, the others have more of a... Maybe, maybe it's not a character arc. Is this a variability in their story that her story has very literal variability in it. But also, to your earlier point is, there wasn't much you needed to do to play that. She she did what that character needed, and you can argue, again, in an ensemble show, you can't give everybody, what do you what do you want to call it, variability in their story or an actual character growth arc. Everybody can't get one of those. Right, right. That's why, like, Vigilante is just one beat. The sociopath dumbass who dislikes to kill people. Right, yeah. He gets a couple of minor moments where he shows a little bit like he feels bad that he fucked up by not killing Peacemaker's dad. Yeah. Other than that, it's pretty much he's just the sociopath the whole way.
1: through. So I guess with that, though, is like you mentioned like a lot of the character growth and arc and stuff had to do with like her relationship with her mother and her wife and stuff like that. You can't see that with Harcourt because she doesn't have that. And that's that's part of what her growth is, is she goes from having absolutely nobody and not giving a shit about it, wanting to be left alone to now I have friends and people that I care about and a team. And Exactly. She's she's part of a group that she wants to be a part of and she likes to be a part of where at the beginning of the series, she literally says, just leave me the fuck alone. I'm not at work. I don't want to talk to anybody. Just leave me alone. But again, it's a little more subtle because, again, the focus isn't necessarily on her. And if you're not, if you don't understand who or what she is at the beginning, you're not going to notice the arc.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, again, I'm not going to bother arguing. We're, we're talking about in- in- incredible subtleties. You just like her character because she's hot.
1: <laughs> I'm not saying I don't like that she's hot. But again, that's, I mean... I guess maybe the part of the reason that I focused on it is because I, I also am normally the leave me the fuck alone. I just want to be alone. Right. And so when I see that, I'm like, I get that. Like, if I were in her shoes, I would be like, get the fuck away from me too. I just want to be left alone for, for a little while. Right. And then going from that to being like, you know what? I want people around me. That's huge. I can see that.
0: But again, there's only so many characters you can give things to in, in a, an ensemble. Show. Like John Economos, he gets, again... It's kind of the same beat, but at least it gets some variability. The whole he's the computer guy, he's pushed into this is not my job or I'm out of my element thing. Like when he has to go try to stop Judo Master, or when he comes running in with the chainsaw to kill the gorilla, or when he picks up the gun to gun down the Nazis. Again, it's a he's not the badass. But it's funny and it's some variability of he's stepping out. The character is stepping outside of the comfort zone of his assigned role on the team and doing some things. And again, the speech he gets to give at the end, like all throughout the series or at least halfway through the series, John Senior is mercilessly making fun of him and calling him Diebeard. And he keeps defending himself, like, I don't dye my beard, stop. And even Adebayo was trying to say, stop picking on him. It's obviously bothering him when you do that. And then at the end, when he has to pretend to be a butterfly, and the other butterfly stops him and asks, like, hey, why did the human that you took over, why did he do that weird thing with his beard? And then Steve Agee's character actually has to honestly admit his story is like, yeah, it's like, I've never had a girlfriend. I thought maybe dyeing my beard would help me with that. And truthfully, you know, I didn't really think anybody noticed except for this one person who picked on me about it relentlessly over and over again. And then a- after he walks away from that person, he's like, yeah, you're right. I did dye my beard. Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking pathetic. Are you happy? And you can even see John Cena genuinely looks distraught that, I really shouldn't have fucking picked on that guy. Yeah, yeah. And
1: I think, I think they did a good job too, of focusing on, yeah. John Cena was picking on that guy because that's what John Cena like that character does. He right. picks on people in his mind. It's a lot more friendly than it comes off. So he doesn't like, even when she's when she says she's like, it's really bothering him. He's like, Oh, come on. I'm just playing around. You know, that's, and people are calling him a bully. He's like, yeah, but they're bullying me by calling me a bully. That's not how I'm, we're just talking.
0: But you also have John Cena's character, he even is like, earlier in the show, he's crying in, in his bed because he's like, you keep pushing people away who could be your friends, you keep acting like an asshole. And then other characters even tell him, I mean, vigilante even tells him, it's like, why are you being such a dick and pushing people away? I mean, almost everybody tells John Cena's character, it's like, why are you being such an asshole to people who could be
1: your friends? Why, why don't you talk about this, Brandon? Oh, is Brandon here. <laughs> put me not on to the spot. That's not, not put you yeah. on the spot, but speak for assholes who push people away. <laughs> I don't. I
2: wouldn't know what you're talking about. I, the <laughs> single greatest like curator of single serve friends. Like go to a bar, talk <laughs> to somebody, bullshit, whatever. Never fucking see him again. Yeah, uh, I might know a thing or two about letting people in and being close and. Yada, 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 touchy-feely shit. Well, not-so-touchy-feely shit. <laughs> and awkward. <laughs> Way to kill the mood.
0: <laughs> and again, it's a minor thing, because like we said, I won't call everybody out. I mean, there's a, a lot of other really good character actors that I know from other things that were in this, and I, I won't go into that. So everybody did a really good job. The only one I would like to call out is the actress who plays Detective Song, who then gets taken over by the Butterfly, Goff. 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 The actress after the finale aired said that when she first read the script after she got cast, the entire time she was concerned about the speech she had to give at the end. Because she's the one who has to give the big what are the butterflies really here for speech. And why
2: are they taking over people? Yeah,
0: why are they, it's not why are they taking over people and they're actually trying to help humanity. It's, it's not a completely malevolent thing. So she, that's like, basically one of her longest pieces of dialogue, but she was like, she was really concerned that she wasn't going to be able to nail that. And most people, myself included thought she did a really good job. I thought she she did. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I thought it was perfect. I mean, the delivery and all that, I don't agree with it, but as most of us wouldn't, because it's not like those butterflies couldn't have just like came here and had their slurm freaking cow and just kind of been butterflies and, Hung out it's not like they needed a host
1: no but like she said though I mean that was the whole point of the rant was you guys are doing the exact same thing to your planet that we accidentally did to ours Th- this is what we did and this is what you're doing so this is why we stepped in to save your planet from you yeah it's almost like
2: peacemaker's rant where I will kill every man woman and child to have peace so yeah no matter how many people we have to kill we have to save the planet from yourselves.
0: Right, like she said, Peacemaker, fulfill your destiny, be the Peacemaker. Yeah. So she makes, I mean, some people have jokingly referred to it as the DC equivalent of Thanos. Yeah. I mean, she makes an argument of, yeah, what they're doing is bad, but it might actually be overall good
1: for humanity. And to be fair, they were taking over like the rich and the powerful and you know government officials that most of us want to get rid of anyway. Well, they also
0: may have even been able to subtly get away with it because it goes by really quick. But they explain that the way that butterflies were even discovered is a couple of rich people died in like a plane crash. And that's where they found the remains of the butterflies in their heads. And that's how they found out that the butterflies were here. So before that, who knows however long they were on the planet, they were kind of already taking over people and like you said rich people and people in the government were already subtly working towards doing that uh overthrow
1: anyway do do they ever say if it kills the the host for them to take it take them over
0: yeah it kills the host but it retains the memory the person's dead but they they have access to the brain and they do remember other stuff cuz like even uh, even um mern is the the good one the butterfly who basically the the center and saying that human beings should be allowed to keep their free will. And if they're going to fuck up the planet, you know, that's, that's on them. But even he was saying like, cause uh, out of basically when she finds out that Mern's a butterfly, it's like, you killed that person. And he's like, I purposely found one of the worst human beings I could find and killed him to take him over. It's like the man I, I killed was a murderer. He was a horrible person, but I have his memories. And even in his mind, I could sense he had the potential to be better. I understood
2: it that they just took over your sentience. Like if the butterfly decided to leave, you wouldn't just die; you would just have that blank spot in your head.
1: Oh no! I, I forgot about the part where she said you killed him to take him over. Okay,
2: yeah.
0: Just about everything in the show—it goes by really fast. They—they did they, they confront like because Audiglio definitely straight up was like you killed the person you it wasn't because that was like maybe they set the points like. What if the butterfly just left Mern? Would Mern still be Mern? But they made a, a point of it was like you killed him, and he's like, yeah, I did. But I killed the
1: worst person in history, pretty much.
0: Right. So, like, he the butterfly could have left Mern and gone into another person, but as soon as it left Mern, Mern would be dead.
1: And we also get at the very in the first episode when they when you know Peacemaker actually says like, I knew Mern before, and he is not a good person. Yeah. Like oh. even even Peacemaker was like. He was terrible, and I do not trust him because I know what he's done. Right. Yeah, they they even set that up at the beginning.
0: Which, again, I thought was going back to my, uh, my earlier thing about maybe some people having an issue with the whole liberal, political, angle, ranty thing in the speech about the butterflies. It made for a nice story pivot there where, you know, very briefly, John Cena looks like he's at least considering it. And then he's like, you know, activate human torpedo, and uses Alibabau to <laughs> kill the cow. And even after, like in the hospital later, when they're sitting there, and Peacemaker and Alibabau are talking. He even asks, he's like, "Did I do the right thing?" And she's even asked, "Why didn't you yeah. go with them? Why didn't you join their cause?" Yeah. And he's like, "I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should have." And then, but but she's like, you know. Kind of feel like your point that you had said, humans should be, should be left to do what they are going to do. They're, we're probably going to fuck it up anyway. But, you know, at least we get to fuck it up on our own terms and not aliens taking us over and...
1: Trying. to fucking up. Yes, to fuck it up.
0: And trying to fix
2: it. Yeah. Right.
0: So, I mean, again, for a show that is largely a comedy, it didn't leave any of its plot threads unfulfilled. I mean, it had a story. It had a pivot around the whole thing of stopping the butterflies and stopping the cow, and, and again, teased that the butterflies. We were teased earlier on by Judo Master that you don't understand what the butterflies are really here for, and then the Myrn reveal, and then again, it all goes by really quick in like a minute in the finale, but there actually was a plot yeah. that gets wrapped up. Yeah, I mean, there
2: was three acts, and solid yeah. beginning, middle, and end. and
0: Yeah, I mean, it probably could have been a long movie maybe i uh, i don't know i mean it would have had to cut some of the story back and and maybe eliminated a few of the characters
1: and stuff but it had a story not gonna lie i am really digging the six to eight episode series i i agree i think you get to tell better
2: stories longer stories and we've talked about it before like you can spend like six or eight episodes building up somebody yeah, characters and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you can do a movie and you don't have to worry about all that background shit. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I would argue that the, the, the main thread other than the, the butterfly threat stop the butterflies. That's the plot, the, the action thing of it, the character arc, the significant character arc, we already touched briefly on the other ones is Peacemaker. So we just see him as a guy who's willing to murder. Who's ever he's told to murder. Men, women, or children, for a quote-unquote good cause, but no really, se- no sense at least in the Suicide Squad movie, that this guy has any sense of any sense of conscience or any thing that would make him ever question that what he was doing was wrong. Nor any insight in that movie of why is this character even like this. And in the series, we start to see that his murdering of Rick Flagg in the Suicide Squad movie. People argue that it's like, well, he didn't seem like have a problem with it in that movie. But it's like, in the heat of the moment, and in his, the mission objective that he was given, which is where he works really well, you just got to do this thing, he killed Flagg. He was then laid up in the hospital for five months, and it had time maybe for it to bother him. But then when they blended that into the whole, his backstory of his fucked up childhood, and then we find out that his father made him fight his brother and he accidentally kills his brother in a fight.
2: Yeah, just when you think Nazis can't get any worse, his dad has freaking fight club with his own kids. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So and then, then, you, then you see how that, like I had mentioned earlier, that maybe that was foreshadowing of why he really couldn't pull the uh, trigger in episode three. Because the first thing that the crosshairs is on is the boy who is roughly the age of his brother when his brother died. And then they keep coming back to that of, he felt bad about Flag, he felt bad about his brother. He's really questioning whether or not his philosophy really makes sense. And then we see him sort of have more of a journey of sort of becoming a better person, or at least a more complete character. And we had talked about this in the Suicide Squad, how we didn't kind of like too much, not that Peace Market was a part of this, cause he was off the board at this point, but how they made the anti-heroes have to take a virtuous turn because the rules of storytelling is that the protagonist has to be a good guy. They do this with Peacemaker too, but I think it's a more believable arc. I mean, I'm not saying that, that Peacemaker has been turned into a hero, but his virtuous turn or character development, I, I didn't have any problem with it. Some people thought it was forced, but I thought they did enough of a job of giving you a believable backstory that maybe this could have been the way he, how he became who he was and why he started to change.
2: And I think with a guy like Peacemaker, it has to look forced.
1: So here's the thing. I mean, you, you didn't see the, the movie, so you can't really say anything to that part. But he has that in the movie. Like, he even says, like, yeah. I, know, I understand what you guys are doing, but my job is to stop this chip from getting out because if this chip gets out, a lot of fucking people are going to die. So, yeah, I, I have to kill you so that all of them don't die. Well, didn't they make the
2: comment, like, early on when the recruiting peacemaker He goes, I you know, I need a hammer. You know, I don't need a finesse guy or something yeah. to that effect.
1: Well, I mean, he's he's brutal. He's yeah. super brutal. But he even says in this, too, like, he flat out says, like, you told me to kill children, but you didn't tell me why. Right. He makes it very, very clear. Like, if you had a legit reason why these children had to die, for these peace, specific ones, I would kill those specific children. But you don't tell me why these children need to die, so I'm not gonna fucking kill them. Right? Well,
0: there was even that earlier part of the scene where the the targets get out of the car, and the targets are being blocked by the the body security guard, yeah. the bodyguard. The that later they have to kill. And he even asks, "Like, that guy's in the way. Do you want me to kill him too? Yeah, and Mern's right. like, no. So he's like, if you, if you tell me that I, in order to accomplish any objective, I got to kill everyone? Just tell me that
1: and I'll do it. Well, I heard it differently. Okay. So the way I heard it in the inflection of his voice was it like basically he's like, are you telling me to kill him too? Because I'm not going to fucking kill him too. Like, that's not what I'm here for. Yeah I took it as
2: kind of a hyperbolic thing, yeah more know.
1: like if I'm going to kill him, I have to kill this other guy. Are you trying to tell me to kill this other guy? Right so that, that's how I took it. slightly different I mean, same thing, but slightly yeah. different tone
0: Maybe. and maybe they also played up, and again, I have no idea, nor do I care about the comic book backstory of the character. I
1: don't know either. So.
0: I, I don't know if the reason that they decided to put the children's stuff in there was because. When people heard the, you know, from the movie, I'm willing to kill how many men, women, and children I need to for peace, the children thing, I think, gave people
1: pause. It's like, what would be the reason why you would ever have to kill children? Oh, maybe that child was given, you know, strapped a bomb to his chest by the parents. Again,
0: you can imagine something. Yeah. As, I think that, like, killing bad men and women, adults, like, I don't think anyone balks at that. But the, the fact that he was yeah. so, like, cavalier about men, women, children, whoever, I got to kill him, I got to kill him. And the fact that, again, I'm reading into it. Yeah, people hear that.
1: People hear that as, I want to kill.
0: Right. Again, that's why I think, again, if that family didn't have kids, right, if it was just the husband and the wife, I don't think he would have fucking paused for a second. Bam, bam, dead. Do you want the bodyguards too? Bam, bam. I think it's because there were kids.
1: It could be. But he did even hesitate. He even has to, he's like, even the wife? Do I have to kill the wife? Yeah. So he, he even hesitated on the wife too.
0: Well, because he was given the target was the senator. The, at the beginning of this, like we have to kill the senator. And then it was in the van. Yeah. That Edmund's like, oh, yeah, we should probably kill the whole family. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You told me that you're, you want me to kill the senator. Well,
1: they said we might have to kill the rest of the family. And, he, wow. and he's like, and he, but he says over and over, he's like, why? Tell me why. I need to know the why. And then he also brings up, he's like, there's no dove of peace. That's his reminder of, I have to do it for peace. That's his kind of center. That's not there. I don't have a reason to do this. I don't have that center. I don't have what I need. In order to do this thing that I have to do. I don't want to do it. I have to do it. And so and I I, I actually felt that in the movie too, where he's like, he's like, yeah, this is a thing that I have to do. Like this is this is my job. This this isn't a weekend hobby something that I like to just go do. This is what I do. This is what I have to do.
0: Again, maybe I'm just hopping on the child thing too much because of the whole thing with his brother, because later he box at the house, but then when they go to the processing plants. He's in full on peacemaker mode for the movie. It is not a single fucking hesitation. Like he scares out of Bayou because they want let's play this cool. And because, again, he has the x-ray vision thing on so he can he can see, oh, that's a butterfly. That's an alien. Not really a person. The person's essentially already dead. Although at that point, I don't think I'm not sure if they had completely explain what a butterfly was yet. But he's like, fuck it. Got to kill that person.
1: Hey, he never hesitates when he has a reason. Point and shoot. At that point, yeah. But again, at that point, he had the reason. They're the a- evil alien butterflies. I know I need to kill the evil alien butterflies. Zero hesitation. He knows what he needs to do. He's got the mission, and he's got the reason. And he's got the tools to identify it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: I guess it is somewhat of an open question as why he spared Goff
1: twice. Because he realized, again, he doesn't necessarily want to kill. Goff was already defeated. He had Goff contained And he lied to them and said that he killed the butterfly, Mm -hmm. and he snuck Goff out in the jar. I mean, it shows that he is actually compassionate.
0: To something that's not human.
1: (laughs) Well, they even joke about that later, that his his friends are an evil alien butterfly and an eagle, neither of which can talk to him. (laughs) But even at the end, he
0: kills Goff's host, but he doesn't kill Goff. And even when Goff comes back, basically at this point, starving to death. Yeah. Gives Goff some what's left of, uh, of the goo.
1: Well, because even at that point, like, he and Goff both know, okay, you're going to die now. There's nothing you can do about it. Have fun. So let's just enjoy each other's company until it's over. I, in my head, right before Goff starves to death, he kills it. It's mercy
2: killing. Yeah. Or has Vigilante do it. I don't know if Vigilante would
1: have any fun with that. I don't know that he would even think twice about it. <laughs> hey. He's about ready to die. You want, or She's about to die. Can you kill her real quick? All right. They would just, like, duct tape her to one of the appliances in the forest.
0: Yes. So go take target practice. <laughs> no tape. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because you want to want to... Gaws uh, wrap her. Uh, yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> cloth, cloth wrap it because you want to want to have the, the burns from the duct tape. We got to kill
2: them because they've seen our face. Yeah, Maybe we can just tie them up. Don't use tape, then. You were just going to kill them
0: two minutes ago, but now you're worried about the duct tape hurting them? Well, that's why Vigilante was such a fun character. It's like every time they would call him out, I was like, you seem to have like a really fucked up way of looking at things.
1: And, he, and like he thinks about it for a second. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like the show, knows what he is.
0: Exactly. He knows what he is, plays within um, the character very well. The positive news that was announced almost immediately after the finale is the show is getting a second season.
1: Oh, oh, oh I don't know, man. Oh. I mean, it, it, it could be really good, but it could flop really bad. Oh, wow. So you, you're not
0: happy to hear it's getting another
1: season. I mean, season. It, I'm torn because I, I would worry that they try too hard on the second season, and it takes away from the first season. Yeah. I could see a second season flopping pretty hard. I mean, kind of like, honestly, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was a big flop in my mind in comparison. Yeah. Because
0: now they've basically essentially completed most of the arc for Adebayo and John Cena, maybe teasing the possibility of, of at least a friendship or maybe a relationship between Harcourt and Peacemaker, and Vigilante's just Vigilante. But it's like, well, other than that, I mean, throw them into a new story, but is it going to work as well? I think if, it's, if it sticks to the comedy and they don't try to lean into any type of a drama element, I think it could work.
1: I think if they swap out some characters and focus on some new characters, it might work. Yeah, I mean, making a second season just, to me, sounds like DC
2: found something that they thought that worked, and they you know, they just want to get that sweet Disney bucks that Marvel gets.
1: That's almost exactly where I was just about to go, is I worry they're going to go the Star Wars route and just do too much and draw it out. All right, you got anything else? No,
0: I think that generally covers, like I said, from the beginning, it knew what it was. It stayed 80% comedy, maybe 20% drama. Excellent use of music throughout, as you would expect from James Gunn. The improvisation of John Cena. The rapid-fire jokes. And, again, the complete story. Yeah, Yeah. Somewhat silly. Not everything makes sense, but it it holds together well enough. And if you can adjust your expectations and Appreciate it for what it is. I think it's a very enjoyable show. It's a low bar, but for me, it's one of the best live action DC things I've seen. Oh, yeah, for yeah.
2: sure. I mean, and it was really enjoyable, but I wouldn't necessarily like go back and watch it twice. I mean, I would. Yeah, you would. I did because <laughs> that's what you do. But yeah, I mean, okay, I had fun.
0: I enjoyed it. I mean, I have, if people have been listening to the podcast, of for a while now, I have not been re-watching most of the things that we've talked about on the podcast. I wanted us to rewatch this because I really wanted to be ready to talk about it. Because like I said, I only really started paying attention like halfway through the first watch because I really was only casually watching because I wasn't expecting much. I definitely enjoyed the show much, much more on the second watch. I'm not going to say I'm going to go watch it again tomorrow, but a couple of months from now... I could go back and watch this again.
1: Well, I'll say the second, the second watching was better as a binge watch than we're trying to watch week to week. Yeah. Because a lot of the jokes don't pay off for, like, a few episodes, and by then I've forgotten what the setup was. I saw a meme. Netflix makes a movie.
2: Eh, Two-hour-long movie, and I'm like, nah, whatever. And then Netflix. What if I stretch it out over six hours, and
1: you go, I'm going to watch every one of them all at once? Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, that goes into what Jim's always saying, you know, uh, I got too much to do. I don't have time to sit here and watch a two-hour movie. So instead, I'm going to watch an entire season of, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> of something else. Have either of you come up with a metaphorical rating? I have one. Do you have one? I have one. Go ahead. You go first. All right. I give this a Dark Helmet. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I mean, if you're not familiar with Dark Helmet from Spaceballs, I mean, like you, like you just summed it up. It knows what it is. Right. It is a huge joke. The whole thing is a joke, but it still tells a good story. It's incredibly entertaining. There's really nothing bad about this because they, f- they know what they are, and they focus on making what they do good. I said mine
2: earlier. It's a Transformers movie. Fun. You know, it's not going to win a lot of, or any awards for, like, writing or anything like that, but it's fun, and you go to these movies for
1: fun. I, I want to throw out credit again to James Gunn writing it like a comic book, like a comic series. If you really pay attention to it, you can, you can see the love that he has for the style and for the source.
0: I agree. My stupid metaphorical rating was the DC live action maker. I've said on many occasions that if it's DC, if it's animated, I'll watch it. If it's live action, I won't. Because with very, very few exceptions. Batman. No, I with very, very few exceptions. Other again, the Nolan trilogy. Again, there are exceptions. But for the most part, especially recent DC stuff, if it's live action, I don't like it. Like I fucking hated the Snyderverse. So most DC live action stuff I don't like. This is one of the first DC live action things in a while I've liked. I was again, I understand that this formula wouldn't work. Like having such a mostly comedic thing. Just wouldn't work with every character. They just can't make every show like this. So I know it's relatively unique, but I would like to see more stuff like this from DC.
1: Yeah, they they need to stretch their wings out and do different things. If they want to compete with Marvel, like they keep trying to do, that's how they do it. Because that's what Marvel did. They stretched out their wings. They did different things instead of trying to make everything the same. Yeah, one could argue that they took a lot of risk. Yeah. Well, I guess one could also argue there was zero risk because there wasn't much to lose at this point. No, uh, I met Marvel. They, oh, I mean, they oh, took got risks, you.
2: and I, I think DC's scared to do that. Yeah. All right. The end. <coughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it, and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com.
0: You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can
1: download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.